Welcome back, baseball fans, to another edition of On Deck of Deep Dive Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Jeff, and we have a new voice on the podcast today. we got David with us. What's going on, David? Not too much. Just glad to fill in today. Nice, nice. Yeah, Dom had ran into something. It's not going to be able to be on tonight, so uh, David uh, happily filled in for him a little last minute, but, you know, that, that, that'll that still work, I guess. Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> All right, so in this episode, we're going to definitely go over the trade deadline that uh, came up August 1st. We're going to kind of do the notable trades and opinions of them. We'll talk about the Angels and if they made a smart decision not getting rid of Shohei. We're going to do some Hall of Fame with uh, the crime dog Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland going into the Hall of Fame last Sunday, I believe. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about them, but then we're mostly going to talk about the um, guys that are on the, the eligibility list and the notable first-year eligibility guys. We're going to do our hot take segments, and then we're going to do our standings rundown and always finish off with the one fact about baseball. Uh, try to stump each other. Jeff always has the, the best ones, so uh, we'll see if Jeff can get us again. So starting it off with the trade deadline, uh, I'll kind of go over a few lists. I only wrote down about seven or eight of them, um, kind of ones that stood out to me the most. I guess the way I wrote my list is kind of least uh, important to most important and then kind of get uh, the opinion on it. But the one I'm going to start with is the Boston Red Sox acquiring infielder Luis Arreyes from the Milwaukee Brewers and then immediately optioning down into AAA. So, Jeff, I'll start with you on this one. What was your opinion of that trade? Yeah, I mean, not too significant to me. I mean, especially if you're just going to immediately send the guy back down. <laughs> yeah, I was just a little surprised that they, they could have gotten an arm or something like that, and they, they uh, chose a guy that was hitting 184 um, and hasn't even hit you know been in a, uh, the batter's box since like sometime in, in late May or early June. So uh, what about you, Dave? Yeah, I just find it interesting that you trade for a guy and then automatically send him down to the minor leagues. It's like usually you, you trade for a minor leaguer who's already there, not for someone who's in the majors and then send him down. Yeah, so. definitely definitely weird. Uh, next one I got is the Miami Marlins acquired first baseman Josh Bell from the Guardians uh, for infielder uh, Gene Segura and infield prospect Cahill Watson. So with David being the definite uh, Guardians uh, guy, uh, what was your opinion of this trade? Um, kind of surprising that we picked him up uh, during the offseason, which I thought was going to be kind of like the, the power bat of almost. And he has improved, but still, comparatively speaking, struggled throughout the season. Um, and following said trade, um, they also released, uh, one of the guys I forget, um, uh, Segura was released following the trade. Really? Yeah. Pick him up just to release him. That's interesting. They're just trying to get rid of some cash. Mm. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, I think. Potentially, it could be good for Cleveland because, like you're saying, Bell's not been at all as advertised. They say this prospect that the Guardians acquired is a possible stud in the future. So 
we'll have to see if it works out for him. Yeah, I haven't heard too much about Cahill Watson, so we'll definitely have to keep a, a, a watch out for him a little bit. All right, next trade, uh, the Baltimore Orioles uh, finalized the deal to get right-hander Jack Flaherty from the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. So, Jeff, uh, what was your opinion on that trade? Yeah, I think uh, it was important for the Orioles to go out and get another pitcher. Uh, Flaherty, I mean, I don't know if he's really the best guy, but, you know, you with that type of offense that the Orioles have and all those young bats, I think all they need is a guy to go out and get them, you know, five innings. And uh, I think it's a good pickup, and hopefully these guys will be able to secure their way all the way. All right. The postseason stay in top of that division. Okay. David, anything on that one? As long as they have someone to kind of like balance things out or some, like Jeff said, uh, you had the offense to balance out the pitching. So it might be a decent trade. And who knows? You might actually improve. Okay. Next one on the list, a uh, little bump around for this guy. Uh, Arizona Diamondbacks acquired outfielder Tommy Pham from the New York Mets. I mean, he was with the Red Sox last year, uh, you know, the, the Mets this year, and now with the Diamondbacks. So, David, any opinion on this trade? Not really. Don't really know Pham all that well, so can't really say too much on it. All right, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, he's just kind of been playing pinball here for sure, like you said, and I mean, I'm not sure if he's going to be significant for them. I think the more important trade that the Diamondbacks had was getting Sewell from uh, Seattle. And that was the reliever, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep, he's got good stuff. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, Rangers picked up a lot of people, but uh, acquired uh, catcher Austin Hedges from the Pittsburgh Pirates. So, Jeff, uh, what do you got on that Austin Hedges um, pickup? You know, Hedges is a – really good you know catcher uh i'm not sure how well he is a batting uh especially in the time that i saw him with cleveland uh i believe he got the start last night and he actually had to wear his black and yellow pittsburgh gear while he was catching I thought that was uh, a little funny he might be getting really? a fine for that one <laughs> really i've never i've never even seen that that's that's interesting is that is that a, a final offense though i'm not sure but I mean, I've been saying a lot of comments about it. All right, David, what did you think about the Hedges trade? Uh, they definitely picked up a leader. He, while what Jeff said was about his bat in Cleveland, definitely is true. Um, he was not the greatest in terms of batting percentage and whatnot, from what I remember. And so, but they definitely picked a kind of like a a bench leader, I guess you could put it, someone who was good at the defensive side will struggled offensively, but could help in other ways. Yeah. From uh, what I heard um, a little bit listening to MOB uh, yesterday is that um, a lot of pitchers really enjoy pitching to him um, and that he might, uh, you know, they might fight over, uh, you know, who he's going to catch because he's, he's definitely a, a guy that, that the pitchers end up liking. All right, uh, next on my list uh, is the San Diego Padres picked up uh, left-handed starter Rich Hill and first baseman G-Man Choi from the Pittsburgh Pirates. So, David, I'll start with you on this one. What did you think of that trade? Uh, I think that was probably a solid choice. G-Man Choi was um, could definitely help. Honestly, that's probably all that I have. I Yeah. I don't follow Pittsburgh as much as I probably should, even though they're not terribly far away from Cleveland. 
Right, right. Hey, Jeff, what about you? I mean, with how far back the Padres are, I mean, these aren't really – these don't feel like the big moves that I needed to see out of them. Uh, you know, I mean, good for Rich Hill for getting on, what, his 80th team. But, I mean, doesn't really feel like it's going to be the the factor that gets them into a wild card. Okay, all right. All right, moving on to the final two, and these are the big ones, and uh, you guys should probably, uh, you know, if you're living under a rock, then you don't know about these trades. But uh, start with the one that was announced, uh, what was it, Saturday, I believe, and uh, it was Max Scherzer getting traded to the New York uh, from the New York Mets to the Texas Ranger. So, Def, uh, Jeff, I'll start with you on this one. What do you got? Yeah, I like it. Um, I think Mets fans just – have got to be shaking their heads about how this whole season has gone, especially with how much money the Mets are going to have to pay for, you know, some of these contracts. But I think it was a good move, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, Scherzer and obviously Verlander uh, going to be divisional opponents now. Yeah, I mean, he stabbed his first uh, start with them this afternoon, and he got rocked for three runs in the first inning but ended up uh, sticking around and uh, the Rangers uh, ended up giving scoring five more runs to, to get the win for him. But, uh, you know, that was interesting to get rocked for three runs right in that first inning. Uh, David, what do you got on it? I just thought, really? They, they created this team to go for a championship, possibly. Um, then when they struggled, they were like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to sink the boat and send everyone any major contract that we had off and then get what we can for them. And so for this Max Serzer trade, they agreed to also pay like $35.5 million of his contract too, uh, just to make it happen, which I find interesting. Yeah. All right, moving on to that uh, that final one, and it, it kind of goes in the same boat. And I kind of have some follow-up questions um, after this one, and it's kind of more Mets-related. But uh, the Astros uh, acquired Justin Verlander from the Mets. So, David, I'll start with you on this one. What was your opinion on that pickup? Um, great for Houston. They got back their, I guess you could, their ace, which uh, – is impressive for a guy who is 40 years old um, that he at any point was an ace for any team. And they got their number one and number four prospects from they meaning the Mets, um, the number one and number four prospects for uh, the Houston Astros uh, farm system. Jeff, what about you? Yeah, I think it's good for Houston. Uh, their pitching staff's obviously been devastated with injuries this year, and this is definitely the time for them to get going. So it's going to be important for them to get a starter that makes a difference here. Mm. All right, so my follow-up question to, I guess, the, the Mets is the Mets seem very happy, at least the ownership seems very happy with what they've gotten in return from both Verlander and Scherzer um, when it comes to, um, you know, the 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 – trades the number one the number four prospect from the astros um and a lot of cash so um do you think that this is really uh you know a good thing for the mets or do you think that this just really um is them just gutting the house and just giving up 
like I said before, it was them probably gutting the house and just trying to get rid of as much money as they could. But on the flip side of that, it's like they got both guys in the offseason. Why would you go out, spend the money only to trade them a couple months later? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it just it just feels ridiculous. Like, I mean, the Mets are going to Mets, right? But I'm just can't – I think they've even come out and admitted that they're like, well, now our focus, we're just kind of going to shift for – I think they already said the 2025 and 26 season. Mm-hmm. So you can see they're already just like, okay, we spent all this money. It's not working out. Let's go ahead and just jump ship. Yeah, that, that's kind of, it was odd to hear that, that we're basically saying we're, we're not going to really try next season at all either. And then maybe, you know, we'll see what the 25 season holds for us. So definitely interesting. Uh, any other notable trades that I, I skipped over that I didn't think about, uh, Jeff? Uh, I like the Marlins uh, also getting from the Mets, uh, David Robertson, and Jorge Lopez, and then they got Jake Berger from uh, – the White Sox. So I think the Marlins are already running above expectations, and I think that's some good moves that they can they can have to hopefully finish. I don't think they're going to finish first in that division, but maybe second. Okay. I mean, do you think that that's that's going to be you know playoff worthy for them um, a possibility, or do you think that that's uh, something that they're looking forward to solidifying next year? I think it's. I think at least the pitching will be for this year. So. We'll see how it goes, I guess. Okay. David, anything else that you got? Um, the one thing that I found interesting, and I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, um, but Cleveland trading a Med Rosario for Noah Syndergaard, uh, which I found really interesting considering that a Med Rosario was batting near 300. Uh, I think he was in the 280s, roughly. And you got a struggling right-handed pitcher out of him who while did solid on his debut also got drilled by a line drive um so i don't know how well this will pan out uh we'll wait and see yeah that was one i saw too um he's been struggling all year right? and mm-hmm. uh, he came from the dodgers right yeah and yeah uh, he's 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 not been good so that was kind of really surprising as well mm-hmm all right, some notable guys that didn't get traded. I'll kind of run down a list of them, and then I'll get, get you guys' opinion on why you didn't think they got traded uh, and or, you know, opinions in general. But uh, some starting pitchers that uh, could have been, on, you know, that I guess were on the block but didn't necessarily get traded. Uh, Dylan Cease of the White Sox, Blake Snell of the Padres, who's been phenomenal. Uh, we'll talk a little bit here in a second about uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, um, Marcus Stroman of the Cubs, uh, Mitch Kellner of the Pirates. Um, you got Josh Hader of the Padres in relief, uh, Giovanni Gielis of the Cardinals, um, and then position players Juan Soto, Cody Bellinger, uh, Lane Thomas, um, Tim Anderson of the White Sox. This was something I was for sure going to go. Ty France from the Mariners. Um, so, uh, Jeff, I'll start with you on this one. Why do you think some of these guys didn't get traded or, you know, was their value just not enough or was just the market not there for them? Well, I think, uh, especially with the Cubs, when they look at their team, you know, you think about belly and, uh, Stroman, maybe getting rid of them. 
they're definitely in a spot now where they're actually still in contention. And I think maybe they're, they kind of had to shift their focus and decide if they're actually going to try to make the run and keep these guys, or if they're going to try to trade them and just pan out to the future. Cause right now they're sitting only like three and a half back, I think. And, you know, they've been laying it down on the reds the last two nights. So they're right there in it. So I think that's at least the reason why they didn't get rid of those guys. Okay. The White Sox, I have no answer for because they're awful, and why not get rid of everybody? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I especially don't see something. And even Ben Attendee, they, um, you know, he's been swinging the bat from somewhat decently. So I, I just figured that a lot of them would be out of the door. But uh, David, what do you got on any of those non-trades? I'm surprised with Chicago not really trading anyone, much like Jeff said, so I'm not going to reiterate those uh, exact feelings. Um, When I say Chicago, I mean the White Sox. Let me clarify. Uh, um, In terms of the San Diego Padres, it can go either way because they have pretty much every reason to kind of get rid of their players. like they're struggling. They've at least a good chunk of the season. Um, And so I wouldn't blame them if they wanted to try and restart, maybe do something similar to the Guardians where they can have some success on kind of like a cheaper deal almost. But on the flip side of that, you got, we've got so much money invested in this. Might as well see this through good or bad. Um, All right. So my follow-up question to that, I guess, is then then how long is are the Padres and the ownership going to hang on to these guys in hopes? Because what this is year two of this this you know experiment. I mean, how long do you think that the Padres are going to hold on to these guys without them producing just lights out numbers like everybody expects? Hard to say. It could be to, till the end of the season. It could be for another year, and then they might add something else. I have no idea. Uh, I'm not a GM, I'm nor am I good enough to speculate that kind of stuff. All right. Jeff, what about you? I, I think they maybe have another year, and if it's not working out, then you've got to try something else because these fans are not going to take it anymore. Uh, you know, you're still sitting underneath the Giants and the Diamondbacks who I don't think anybody expected to be as good as they are this year. And you're spending twice as much salary almost. And it's just frustrating for those guys. I mean, they kind of got to feel the same way, kind of like the Mets have Mets fans have this year. So I think it's about another year. And if not, you got to, start cutting some guys off. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like I said, I mean, we've talked about this a million times. Just the, on paper, this should be the best team in baseball by far. Mm-hmm. And they're just not. So, all right, moving on to the E-Rod. Uh, he turned down a chance to go to the L.A. Dodgers um, from the Detroit Tigers when he turned down that 10-team uh, no-trade clause. Um, so, Jeff, I'll start with you on this one. Um, surprising that somebody turned down a trade to a, a playoff contending team like the Dodgers. Um, so why do you think that was? I knew there was a little bit of family um, stuff that was said, but what do you think? 
Yeah, that's what I was hearing as well as, you know, him saying that he didn't want to move his family halfway through a season. But, I mean, as good as years he's having, I don't know why you wouldn't want to go compete for, you know, a team that's actually going to be in the postseason versus, you know, Detroit. Um, and then I know I even heard that Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez, you know, they're both on the Dodgers and they tried to message him saying, hey, you know, we can all be teammates again. Are you going to waive that no trade clause? And they never heard anything back. So I wonder if there's anything else going on behind the scenes that would make him not want to go to that team. Okay. All right. David, what do you got? I don't exactly understand why he wouldn't want to go to a World Series contending team either. Um, maybe he's maybe it is the fact that his family wants to stay in Detroit at least for the season. I maybe he sees something that we don't. I I don't know. It's hard to understand. <laughs> I mean, because like with my thing is is like just because you're playing for a different team doesn't mean your family has to move. Like you know exactly I mean? players that play for a team that their families live in a completely different. Um, you know different state so it's just it was really surprising to me and so that kind of you know brings up of what what jeff said that is there a culture down there that he doesn't want to be a part of is he just in that much in love with the culture of detroit i mean because to be honest like he's really one of the only shining lights of that franchise right now at least in my opinion so um i was just really interested to to see somebody that doesn't necessarily um, want to, to go to that championship caliber team. I mean, he, he's been there. He's been to the big dance. He's, he's, uh, he won it with the Red Sox. So, um, you know, that's a, maybe you've, you've, once you've tasted that, you don't necessarily have to, to go around to do it again. But I mean, that, it's just interesting. Cool. I moved on to the last topic of the, uh, of the trade is, um, also a non-trade, um, David, I'll start with you on this one. Did the Angels make a smart move not trading Shohei Otani and getting basically probably could have got the moon and the stars and everything for this individual for a short-term uh, lease? It, I don't think that they did um, because it's like you could have set up the future generation of your team for a couple-month rental. And I don't know what the play is. I don't know if they have intents of extending his contract or what, whatever is going on, but you could have gotten something from the guy versus risking it all in the off season and having him go somewhere else. It's like, you could have traded him to LA. He could have signed a massive contract extension there well, L.A. Dodgers, I should say. Um, and he could have signed in a massive contract extension there. Like, it doesn't make sense. All right, Jeff. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. That's kind of how I expected it to play out. Was You know, either Yankees, Dodgers give up a ton, and then he eventually gets the extension. But I think that it makes me wonder if the asking price is just too high. I mean, especially if you are one of these teams that would be receiving them. How much are you willing to give up just to have him for a couple months? I mean, obviously he's having one of the best seasons any baseball player's ever had, but I just don't know if maybe the asking price was too high. And if so, then maybe 
it is smart of them to go ahead and turn around and be buyers and just try to push for some kind of postseason uh, if this is going to be the last run with them. Uh, so it's just kind of hard to know if it's on their end or if it's on the receiving end of some of these other teams not wanting to give up too much for a rental. Yeah, and they, they ended up getting uh, a couple. They ended up getting uh, another right-handed pitcher in C.J. Crone um, during the, the trade deadline, and he's already producing for them. Um, so I thought that was, you know, they definitely turned into buyers, and we'll see if that can um, turn into some wins throughout this last stretch of the season. So anything else on the trades before we move on to the Hall of Fame? Were the Yankees asleep the whole time? Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I think that whole team is asleep. I, I think even with, yeah. with what's going on, I mean, you can't tell me that Aaron Judge just isn't like the, the, the only, you know, once he went out with injury, that the whole entire team just, for the lack of a better term, took a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems beyond me that they, you know, are are playing as poor as it. they're another one like like. Um, the Padres on paper, they they seem like they should be doing at least middle of the road, um, you know, second or third in the division and to be last in the division. This is the longest they've gone last in their division this deep into a season since 1990. Yeah, that's wild. Mm-hmm. But then again, you that begs the thing. It's like, what do they have to offer up? It's like anything of subsistence of substance is on the actual major league team. They don't really have anything below them in terms of their minor leagues. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, that's what one thing they used to pride themselves on too, which is crazy. All right. Uh, moving on to hall of fame, obviously uh, last Sunday, the crime dog, Fred McGriff um, and Scott Rowland were voted or not voted in. They already got voted in, but they were inducted into the Hall of Fame. It was a real nice ceremony. It was just so great to see Roland just so happy and, and Fred McGriff, uh, you know, getting that committee vote and, um, you know, just really happy anytime somebody can, you know, put the HOF uh, behind their signature. It's just, you know, it's a, I know it's a happy moment for all of them. So my question really is uh, the returning players that are eligible and these first timers that are eligible. So I'm going to start with returning players, kind of go through the list and then get your guys' opinions on what do you think the probability that they get in is or what is the probability that they um, hit that 10-year gap and fall off. Uh, And then we'll talk about first timers. So the returning players, uh, Carlos Beltran, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Manny Ramirez, Billy Wagner, Sheffield, and A-Rod. So, Jeff, I'll start with you on this one. What are your opinions on these returning Hall of Fame uh, list? Who do you think gets in? Who do you think is going to have a hard time? Well, I think uh, A-Rod, for obvious reasons, is not – it's just not going to happen. I don't see it happening for him. I think maybe Sheffield has a chance. Maybe Beltron has a chance. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd like to see Manny Ramirez. I mean, I, I was always a big fan of him. So I think that's about where I'm at with him. Okay. David? I would love to see Beltran and um, Manny Ramirez get in. Manny Ramirez was always entertaining, even when he was on the Red Sox as a Cleveland Indians Guardians fan, knowing that he was on that 
90s and those 90s teams that went to the playoffs and had a record setting of 400 some odd uh sellouts i would love to see the guy get in a rod the guy i don't care for the guy all that much i hopefully i hope he doesn't get in okay so i was really surprised that both of you didn't talk about helton or andrew jones um you know and i guess um, you know both of them how can i word this the best so neither of them not helton or or andrew jones had necessarily um i don't want to say hall of fame careers but i mean uh you know like they're slightly above average uh, you know i mean they were very decent but they were faces of their franchise for for years so how much does being a face of the franchise lead you to get to that hall of fame uh status or hall of fame you know probability when they did so much for the game of baseball in their particular um you know teams because we don't really there's you know you don't see a lot of of recognition um you know on and on the level that the you know of their their team recognition um so Jeff, I'll start with you on this one. What do you think of that? I mean, did I even word that even slightly correctly or? Yeah. I mean, obviously like I've got a future guy that I'm hoping just his commitment to the city is enough to get him in with motto, but I think it can only take you so far at the same time. You know, you need to see, you know, gold gloves, you need to see silver sluggers, you know, all-star nods, uh, you know, either that or like career milestones, you know, hitting 500 home runs, you know, batting over 300 career. Uh, I think there's a lot of situations like that that you need to see, you know, any MVPs, um, you know, or even like McGriff, he was what, an all-star MVP once. Uh, I think you need to start to see some stuff like that more so than just the commitment of what you maybe did for the city, you know, with Colorado and Atlanta. Uh, even though, yeah, the 90s with the Braves were pretty wild. So I don't know if it's going to be enough to get them in, but you know, those are two guys that I like very much. and I wouldn't mind seeing them get in. Okay. David, you got anything on that? While I wouldn't mind seeing them in, it's like, like he said, like Jeff said, um, being a f- necessarily a face of the franchise and really that being just about it can only take you so far. It's like, Dom always brings up Kenny Lofton when it comes to the uh, Hall of Fame debate. And it's like, when you think about it, this guy was, he, he's been to the World Series several times, um, was definitely an all-star and one of the greatest defending center fielders for the, the Indians at the time in the 90s. And yet retired in, what, 2007, never really got in. And I think that can only take you so far. Okay. All right. All right. Moving on to the uh, first timers. Um, so just go down the list. Uh, Adrian Beltre, uh, Adrian Gonzalez, Joe Maurer. And it, uh, Jeff talked about Joe Maurer earlier. Uh, this is the last episode of this episode before. Uh, Chase Udley and David Wright. So, 
David, I'll start with you on this one. Any any of those on that list stand out to you that are definite, uh, you know, first ballots, or is this going to be uh, a waiting game uh, down the road for them? By the sounds of it, it might be a waiting game. If anyone of that list has the best chance, probably Joe Maurer, um, just because of his abilities and stuff like that with the Twins. Especially, I think it was what he was a catcher right behind the plate, if I remember correctly, off the yep. top of my head. Mm-hmm. That's probably the most defensive position that you could probably play because there's a lot of things that you have to worry about when you play catcher. So, if anyone, I think Joe Maurer uh, goes first uh, in terms of first ballot. Okay. Jeff, what do you got on that list? Yeah, I agree uh, with Maurer. Uh, I think he's got a good shot at it. I think uh, Beltre, he's got a good shot getting in. Uh, how do you not mention Bartolo Colon? Of course, he's going to get in, right? Is he <laughs> is he eligible this year? I believe so. I think this is it. Is he was not on my list, so that one home run should get him in, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was definitely a journeyman and definitely just a, a you know a, a badass just in general. So yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, um, you know, I know we've talked about Beltre a lot. Um, that he he didn't have a spectacular season, but he had a pretty great, um, not season, but uh, he had a pretty great career. So. Mm-hmm you know, does that still get you into the Hall of Fame? I don't know. All right, moving on to our hot takes segment. Uh, I'm going to go over some uh, these lists and then kind of get you just real quick opinions on them. Um, so, uh, Jeff, I'll start with you. Red Hot Houston. Obviously, with getting Justin Verlander uh, back, then they had this no-hitter uh, thrown by Framber Valdez. Uh, so what's your take on that? I think, yeah, I think Houston's definitely going to be scary in this run leading up to October. And uh, Why does it feel like Cleveland gets a no-hitter thrown against them every year also? <laughs> that might be a different story. But, yeah, I think Houston, they made the right accusation – or right accusation positions i should say and the rangers haven't exactly looked like they're in the best spot right now you know they just lost uh their catcher to the il so we'll see how that division pans out after this um little side note there uh who's the catcher for the uh astros um oh yeah um autonato yeah he that's his third no hitter he's caught yeah and so I think the most no-hitters caught um, by one catcher is um, Jason Veritek. He's caught four no-hitters. So that, that's creeping up kind of close to, to you know, tying that record. That's a pretty uh, spectacular record to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Then uh, yeah. he also had uh, some headlines for their series against the Rangers. Uh, he said some words to uh, – oh, man, I can't think of his name uh, – on the Rangers thought he was doing his home run trot a little too slow and then the bench is cleared. Oh yeah. Yeah. They got a little chippy. I saw that. Yeah. All right. David, what's your take on the uh, red hot Houston? Um, I think that they'll continue. Um, but I also think that while Texas did lose their catcher, 
uh, I think that they'll hold on. Okay. Uh, that, that definitely is, is going to be an interesting uh, divisional uh, run for those two. Uh, and also, uh, side note again. Yeah. I just looked while you're discussing that, introducing the topic. Uh, Bartolo Colon's first chance on the ballot will come in 2024, as far as I'm aware of. Okay. So next year. Yes. Next year. So I was I was looking that up while you were talking about that. <laughs> All right. It was coming yeah. up. So it's got to be a pretty monumental moment when, as a big league pitcher, you go out there and throw your very first strikeout. Um, but the uh, Diamondbacks uh, slayed Sassoni, Cerrone, Sassoni, um, through the weirdest first strike out ever. So on the um, last, I guess, the strikeout pitch, um, it hit the bottom of the bat of the uh, batter and then hit the crotch of the catcher. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw that. No. I heard about it, but I never read into too much detail on it. Yeah, so uh, it was the weirdest first strikeout ever um, with the, the – came in and hit the the very bottom of the bat and then hit the crotch of the catcher and he had to kind of cradle it in his crotch um and it was considered after review um it was considered a a strikeout so it was very interesting so it went knob the knob yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) yes it did very interesting That's a topic for a different episode, I guess. <laughs> and different, possibly a very different show. <laughs> a different right. show altogether, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Cubs putting up 16 runs in two games in a row. Uh, so, Jeff, uh, what do you got on that? Man, they just – ever since the All-Star break, they've just – their offense has come to life for sure. Um, man, the Reds just – uh, we had our starting pitcher the other night, and I, we let him stay in the game and give up 13 runs. So it's like I understand you all attack your bullpen for the rest of the series, but, I mean, how long can you let it get on, go on? Um, so I think the Cubs are definitely going to be a force to be reckoned with here if they keep this up because they've, got, um, they've gotten a lot of games back all of a sudden, and now I think they're only sitting three behind – uh, the Reds and the Brewers are still only a half game back. So this is going to be another really tight all the way to the finish line division. Right. And I don't like it. <laughs> I, know you don't. I know you don't. That's why I started with you on that one. <laughs> um, David, what do you got on that Cubs 16 runs in two games in a row? Honestly, an all-star break can, can make or break a team. Um, and honestly, Sometimes a team just needs some rest and then they can just take off and go from there. And clearly the Cubs got the offense that they needed. All right. Since you were talking about the Rangers uh, just a little second ago, David, so uh, Seager came back from the IL and Homer's his first at bat. Uh, So what does that say about the Rangers potential? I know we've talked about it a little bit, but uh, how important is that for Seager to come back from the aisle and that homer that first at bat? I think it just adds more confidence and just, I guess, boosts morale that a player can come off of IL and have some some relative success. 
And honestly, don't know how else you could do it better than a home run. Okay. Or at least a hitting a hitting player, I should say. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, I think it's going to bring that energy back um, to a team that's looking down. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, lose Jonah Heim, but now you got Austin Hedges in there. Uh, you know, you got Adolis Garcia and Corey Seager out there. I don't know why I couldn't think of Adolis' name earlier, and now I do. But it can be a powerful offense for them. So now you got Scherzer and see how far they can keep rolling, stay above Houston, or if they're just going to keep kind of sinking like the Rays have with their hot start. Yeah, yeah, that they've definitely cooled off for sure. Uh, so speaking of teams that have had a pretty good uh, run so far in this season, is the Atlanta Braves and Spencer Strider uh, fastest to 200 Ks. It took him a it breaks his own record, 123 and a third innings to get to 200 Ks. So what is your opinion on that, Jeff? It is insane. I mean, he's got he's got the stuff for sure. And that whole Atlanta team is just ridiculously stacked. How many homers they've hit this year, it's unreal. Pitching staff's great. And then out of nowhere, you know, during the trade deadline, they went out and got another two relievers. So now their bullpen's even better. Uh, so I'm glad I've got quite a few Striders rookies. Rookie cards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his calves alone are worth, you know, a pretty penny. <laughs> right. Um. David, what do you got on Strider doing 200 Ks? Honestly, excellent for him. It's like it's it's hard enough to do 200 Ks in a season anyways, much less to do it in as short of span as he did, in addition to the excellent team that they have overall. I think that's probably the most well-balanced team in all of the MLB, and honestly, having everything work and – Firing on all cylinders is probably every every team's dream, I guess you could say. Okay. All right. Final uh, little topic on the um, hot takes, uh, and David, I'll start with you on this one. How bad is it for the Blue Jays that Bo Bichette um, possibly got uh, a lot more injured than they're saying he is? Honestly, I think that's bad for any team that one of your big name players got hurt and is even more hurt than you were expecting. So I don't think it's, while it's sad for the blue Jays, it's like that would be sad for almost any team with a big name player to them. Okay. Jeff. Yeah. It really sucks that it's coming at this point in the year where you kind of need him the most. Uh, He's definitely been the standout offensively for the blue Jays and Obviously, we talk all the time about how tough a division that is. And now you go down, and now it's possibly going to be who knows how long. It's Yeah, it's definitely a big blow. I mean, they're saying it was only a calf strain, and it's it's day-to-day. But, I mean, he it just it seemed on the field, at least. I don't know if either of you saw when he rounded uh, first and was heading for second and just kind of stopped – almost, you know, right away and, and was grabbing his knee and, and didn't even try to make an attempt to try to get to back to any base um, and just mm-hmm. let stood there and let himself get tagged out because it was it was that bad. So it'd be really interesting. 
Well, it was a good segue talking about bat or how tough a, a division is. It's uh, going to our standings rundown. So I'm going to go through the list, and then I'll get you guys' opinions on the, you know what stands out to you and uh, you know who, who surprises you and who disappoints you. So start with the American League East. You've got the Baltimore Orioles sitting atop their division. Um, with a 67 and 42 record, uh, you got Tampa at 66 and 45, Toronto 60 50, Boston 57 51, and uh, you got New York at 56 and 52. Moving along to the American League Central, you've got the Minnesota Twins at 55 and 54, the Guardians. You know, still possible that they could uh, you know win that division, um, but they are 53 and 56 um, in that. You got the Tigers at 48 and 60, White Sox 43 67. You've got the Kansas City Royals at 35 and 75. Moving along to the American League West, you've got the Texas Rangers at 63 and 46, Houston Astros at 62 and 47, Seattle Mariners 56 42. Uh, LA Angels 56 53 and the uh, Oakland Athletics 30 and 79. Moving along to the National League, you've got the Arizona, I'm sorry, the Atlanta Braves, I apologize, 69 and 37. You got the Philadelphia Phillies at 59 and 50, Miami Marlins 58 52. You've got the Mets 50 and 58, the Washington Nationals at 46 and 63. National League Central, You've got those Reds. Uh, Jeff's very happy, 59 and 51, but Milwaukee right on their tail at 58 and 51. The Cubs, 55, 53. Pittsburgh, 48, 59. You've got the Cardinals sitting last in that division at 48 and 61. National League West has the uh, I'm sorry, the LA Dodgers at 61 and 45. You've got the Giants, 61, 49. Diamondbacks 5753, um, Padres 5455, and you've got the Rockies at 42 and 66. So Jeff, I'm going to start with you. What is your take on the standings, surprises and disappointments? Uh for disappointments, obviously, Yankees still sitting bottom of their division. Uh you know, with that record, you throw them in, you know, some of these other divisions, they'd probably be on top, but it's just you know, the card they're dealt with and obviously not seeing anything during the trade deadline. I don't think they're going to be going anywhere. Uh, the Mets, the other New York team, still real disappointed in them. Uh, you know, they just lost to the Royals the other night on a walk-off bulk. Just one of the worst teams in baseballs. So that kind of shows you the state that they're in. I think the Pirates are officially out of the race for the NL Central. I mean, I know it's still theoretically possible, but them obviously being sellers, I think that kind of shows where they're at as well. Um, the Giants are still rolling. You know, they're not that far behind the Dodgers, and that team on paper does not look all that good, but they're still hanging above Arizona. I'm impressed with those guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, David, what do you got for standings? Honestly, it's a good day that the New York Yankees are in last place. Um, I think Almost everyone can agree that they never want to see the Yankees in the World Series ever again. Um, so that's a starter. Um, honestly, it's I'm kind of disappointed in Seattle a little bit. It's like 
I thought they would be a little bit better than kind of like middle of the, the pack of the AL West. Um, they can still definitely change it around because they're only six and a half games back. There's that. And I'm surprised at just how far ahead the Atlanta Braves are in the AL East. All right. I mean, it was really interesting that I think uh, I read that somewhere that um, with the AL East and, you know, we've talked about this a lot in this episode, you know, is that this is the second time um, in, I don't want to say major league history, but it's, it's been in, in the last, you know, hundred years or so. It's only the second time uh, that a, each team in a division is over 500 500 entering August. Um, and that's the second time. Um, so the last time it was, I think, uh, 1969. And that was like the NL central or something like that. So, um, that's just crazy how, how well that one particular division can just beat up on every other, you know, teams that are out there and stay that consistent. Um, even, even the Yankees as horrible as they're doing, they're still doing better than a crap ton of other teams. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. you, you maybe expect them to be, you know, you know, leading the division with a record like that sometimes. So it's just, it's pretty crazy. Definitely. Uh, anything else on standings before we get into that fight? All right. All right. The one fact about baseball. So David, start with you on this one. What is your one fact about baseball? All right. So it's actually a, a two-part question. Um, so you guys know what antitrust exam or antitrust law is, right? Well, not a hundred percent. So why don't you run that down for us, just so that the, some yeah. of our listeners who don't know might uh, get a. So for those who don't know, antitrust basically is it prevents companies from buying out their competition and uh, monopolizing a market. So. For example, Amazon can't buy out like eBay, Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, stuff of that nature, and be the only buying, selling website in the world. Stuff like that. Okay. That's the simplified, dumbed down version of it. Um, now, did you guys know that the MLB actually had an antitrust exemption? Yes. The MLB was the only league that had an antitrust exemption. Now, where I'm going with this uh, was, do you guys know when they were given the antitrust exemption and when was it actually taken apart or taken away? Mind you, uh, antitrust laws were created in uh, 1912. Uh, 1918? Okay, close, but no. Yeah, if that's close, I guess I'll just roll it a couple of years down the line. I'll go 22. <laughs> that actually is correct. <laughs> hey. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. <laughs> Look at that. So they actually earned the exemption from the federal baseball, uh, I think it was league, oh, federal baseball club versus the National League in the actual Supreme Court of 1922. Now, can you guys take a guess as to when they actually the exemption was taken away? Hmm. Twenty twenty. No, that's way off. Okay. Way off. <laughs> I was thinking maybe 
post World War II type. I don't know. Let's go 1950. Nope, that's also way off. Okay, so while the MLBPA, the players' union, has definitely kind of like helped and rolled back some of this antitrust exemption kind of stuff and benefited the players a lot, it actually wasn't taken away from the MLB until 1998 with the Kurt Flood Act passing through Congress. I heard about Kurt. I've heard that name, Kurt Flood, and I. Um... Wasn't he that one they couldn't get? Uh... So, Kurt Flood looks like he was a St. Louis uh, Cardinals player. And he didn't want to get traded? Or he... I don't know the exact details of it. Um, I just know when it happened and what the name of the act was. Yeah, that the Kurt Flood, we'll have to definitely look into that because that Kurt Flood thing was, uh, uh, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but that particular issue that he had with the teams was uh was an interesting one so we'll we'll Mm. have to look into that one Mm. all right jeff what do you got all right so obviously we've been talking about the trade deadline so i was wondering if you guys actually know what percentage of prospects that are dealt in trade deadline deals actually go on to have major league careers knowing that it's already a small amount of people um I'm going to guess like 5%. I'm going to jump lower than that. I'm going to jump 3%. All right. So based off the the case study that I found, uh, it went from players from 2003 to 2014. It was actually just under 20%. No shit. And the, the interesting thing with that is what they considered to have major league careers is playing the majority of two seasons and posting a positive career war. So that's their definition of having a positive impact on a team. So uh, it was 86 of the 428 prospects dealt during those years. Only though that amount of players actually even made it just two seasons with a positive war. Interesting. All right. That's a good one, Jeff. You always have, uh, like I said, you always have those really ones that make you think. Oh, yeah. All right. So, can you name the first athlete in sports history to be paid at least $15 million by three different teams in the same year? Uh, Roughly, uh, can you give a time estimate, roughly? No, no, it's in the last 10 years. It's in the okay. last 10 years. By three different teams. So I'm assuming it's going to be a ball player then. Baseball. <laughs> I'm going to say Justin Verlander. All right, Jeff, what do you got? Hmm. I'm trying to think of these deals in the last 10 years. 15 million. Hmm. Give me a Kershaw. Nope, nope. David was was really close, really close. It wasn't Verlander. Max Scherzer. Uh, I had the right team. <laughs> first athlete in sports history to be paid at least $15 million by three different teams in the same year. So this year, he will get paid $15 million by the Nationals. He will get paid $28 million by the Mets and he will get paid $15 million by the Rangers to finish out his season. Huh. Mm. So, Interesting. 
thought that was interesting. There's probably a lot of other players out there that have been paid by multiple teams in one season, um, but I don't think the the amounts were ever that that substantial. So mm, yeah. All right, guys. Well, that does it for this episode of On Deck, presented by Deep Dive Sports. I want to thank David and Jeff for being on this episode. Uh, make sure you download us wherever you get your podcast: Apple Music, Spotify. Uh, hit us up on our socials, uh, you know, Facebook, um, Threads, uh, X. Can't call it Twitter anymore. It's it's X now. Right. Feels dirty. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Elon. Uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Baseball is America's pastime. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of On Deck as much as we have. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at deep.dive.sports. Or download us through Amazon, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. As always, we are On Deck, presented by Deep Dive Sports. Until next time.